one of my summer projects here at the church is that I have been starting to look at the church history. Um, this is the 50-year anniversary of this building, and we recently discovered some old historical documents that were in a safe that we didn't know where the combination was, and we found it. So I've been going through that, reading all kinds of interesting stories about the start of our church and all the different locations and names that our church has had over the years. Uh, so I'm hoping to write that up for us for this fall. But, but I was struck this week by the story of David Imbri. He was a pastor here in the early 1800s, 1806 to 1808. So that is before we were even officially a congregation. And I believe he was like a student pastor. He wasn't even ordained, I think, until right after his time here with us. This is all I could find about him. It was written about at the 100-year anniversary of our church. So 1925, handwritten history uh, that my secretary, Betsy, typed this week. So we got to, I got to really read it. He, it was said, uh, all we know about him, really, is that he weighed over 300 pounds. The guy was huge. And whenever he went to visit people in the church, he had to take two horses because one horse would wear out and he'd have to switch horses. And then what we also know is that whenever he went to switch horses, he would often stop and knock on the door of whatever house was there because he had to throw himself up with such force to get on the horse, he was known for falling down the other side. So everybody in town knew him because he would occasionally knock on the door to have him, them help him switch horses. This made me wonder what my legacy at a church might be, right? You start thinking about these things when you hear stories like that. What will people say about me someday and my pastor at this church? Luckily, I will not be like the two-horse pastor. But um, I think if I'm known for one thing, it's going to be probably for my weird sermons. And uh, we're going to live up to it today, as we're going to have a little bit more interaction in the sermon today. It's not going to be too intimidating. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but we are going to have a little bit of discussion in the pews a couple of times throughout this sermon. So, this is not one you can doze off on. You've got to pay attention. You've got to know what's coming. Text today comes from Exodus chapter 12. It's a familiar passage. It's a passage that I come back to a lot. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb each for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join with the closest neighbor in obtaining one. And the lamb shall be divided in portion to the number of people who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly, assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its heads, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded 
your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The reading of God's word. This is the story of the first Passover. I want you to imagine that you are a child. A Jewish child. Young enough to be creating some of your first memories. You sleep in one morning, and when you wake up, your father is not around. He does not show up till later in the day, and when he comes back, he brings with him a lamb. A perfect lamb. No blemishes, no rough spots in the wool, no different colors, no abnormalities of any time. A perfect, flawless little lamb. Now, you're only a child, but you've been around lambs before. They are a kosher food that can live on the little grass that grows in Israel. They're good for wool as well as meat, and so they're one animal that you see often, but you've never had one before. Your father and your older family members warn you not to get too attached to this lamb, but it's too late. As soon as it walks in the door, that lamb and you are best friends. It starts to follow you everywhere. You try to hug it and try to ride it as much as you can. You name him Mr. Fluffy Pants. Because you're a child and that's the kind of name you would give to a lamb. And so Mr. Fluffy Pants learns that you are the one that really likes it, that will give it attention. And Mr. Fluffy Pants follows you around. You play with Mr. Fluffy Pants. You draw his picture in the dirt. You look up in the clouds and see Mr. Fluffy Pants everywhere. Finally, after a day or so of this and your attachment to this lamb, your parents pull you aside because they see what's coming and they drop the bomb on you. Mr. Fluffy Pants is only going to be with your family for four days and then he's going to be sacrificed. You cry and you cry when you hear the fate of Mr. Fluffy Pants. You've been to other sacrifices. You can kind of remember, right? Because it would stand out even as a child. The, the smells and the sights. The sounds of the people. The, the sweat of the priests as they work near the fire. The doves and sheep and goat and bulls as they are waiting to be sacrificed. One memory probably stands out to you most because it's one of the most powerful images of sacrifices. On the Day of Atonement, there would be two particular goats that would be brought to the priests. One would have their hands laid on the goat, and that goat would be sacrificed. But the other was called the scapegoat. And when the scapegoat came before the priest, the priest laid his hands on the scapegoat, Leaving the, the, giving the scapegoat the sins of Israel. And then the scapegoat is sent out into the wilderness. So that you will remember that God forgives you. That your sins are taken away from you as part of the sacrifice. You remember this and you think, oh, that Mr. Fluffy Pants could be like that scapegoat and get away. But your parents tell you no. And so for the next couple of days, you enjoy Mr. Fluffy Pants the best you can. 
You ask a lot of questions, though, in your mind, don't you? Why do we have to do this? What has Mr. Fluffy Pants done to deserve this? What have I done to make this action against Mr. Fluffy Pants necessary? The day of the sacrifice, you cry and you cry as evening approaches and Mr. Fluffy Pants is killed. You cover your ears and your eyes because you just can't stand to watch. That night, you sit down with your family to eat the Passover meal. And you begin to hear the story of why you have to do all of these things. You eat a meal with no leaven because all of the leaven in the house has been removed. You hear your father tell of how God wanted your ancestors to understand that they were set apart. And so they needed to understand that they needed to live differently. You hear the story of the Passover, of how Pharaoh oppresses your people, kills the firstborn. Moses marches in and calls the plagues down upon Pharaoh and upon the people. You you hear of all the the locusts and the flies and the frogs and all all these plagues that relate to the Egyptians' gods. You eat your meal, but this time it's weird. You're reclining. You're lying down. You've got your shoes on, your belt on. Your father has his staff next to him as if you are about ready to leave. You're reminded that that night the people were being delivered out of slavery. You cry again as the main course is served. It's lamb. It's Mr. Fluffy Pants. All of it has to be eaten that night, and and it's important that none of the bones be broken. You hear how the blood of that lamb in the original Passover was to be put over the doorway to mark a house that would belong to God where the firstborn would not be killed. And as you hear these stories, you're emotionally invested, right? Because you've been crying. You You are wrapped up in this story. You realize that this is not like the other sacrifices. It's not the same as a sin offering or the scapegoat. But but at the same time, it does tint how all those other sacrifices are experienced for you. And so I want you to imagine sitting at this table, eating that lamb, hearing this story. Now you need to understand that probably for you all, this is even more traumatic than it would have been for them. If you've ever been around, if you've ever lost a pet, you may have been really, really traumatized. But if you've ever been around a farmer that loses an animal, that's like, it just happens, right? So these people were probably around this a lot more. But, but still, what are you thinking? What emotions are stirred for you as you hear this story? What thoughts go through your head? What does the child's perspective do for you in thinking about the Passover? How does it affect your view of God? So we're going to do something that's not real Presbyterian, but we're going to have some discussion right now. And what I want you to do is just get in, we're going to kind of get into groups of two or three people right around you. Make sure no one is excluded, so pick up somebody if they're kind of flying solo today. And I'm going to give you two or three minutes, and there's no right answers. I just want you to talk about where you are with this story so far. What are you thinking and what are you feeling? Ready? Go. Now let's continue the story though. Let's see if we can bring even some more life to this. Let's say that you're that child 
And you don't know it, you wouldn't use this language, but, but we would say you're living around the year 15 AD. So you're just a child at the start of the time of our Lord. You're living in Israel controlled by the Romans, and you have grown up celebrating the Passover and going to Jerusalem for sacrifices. So now you're an adult. You've been doing this your whole life. Again, you probably stopped naming Mr. Fluffy Pants a while ago. You sort of got the understanding. It became a little more natural for you than it was when you were a child. Some of your religion has really emphasized the coming Messiah. And so now in the tradition, there are all these moments in the Passover that look forward to the Messiah who would come and make all things right. In fact, verses like, chapters like Isaiah 53 would describe the Messiah as a suffering servant, even as a lamb that bears sins. So you're looking forward to someone, a Messiah, a Savior, who's going to come and somehow is going to relate to this sacrificial system. But you don't know how, no one really knows how, and so you just wait and continue the practices. You continue to obey and go through the motions. One day you're with some friends and you meet this man named Jesus. You're attracted to him somehow and begin to follow him. One of your earliest memories of Jesus is the day that he was baptized by John the Baptist. I mean, there's a lot that goes on there, right? He comes up, there's a voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. But what you remember is when John the Baptist first sees Jesus. He looks down, sees Jesus coming towards him, and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. All these memories start coming back to you of sacrifices, of Mr. Fluffy Pants, of these Messiah passages looking forward to someone who would someday be the Lamb of God. You're intrigued. You're intrigued by these words. You're intrigued by Jesus. And so you continue to follow Him, not sure what is going on, but knowing that something important is happening. He teaches like no one ever has. He heals people, does crazy things like walking on water and feeding great numbers with small lunches. He opposes the religious leaders, but he always seems to do so without sinning. He always seems to be perfectly in line with God's will, not with people's expectations, but with the law and with God's will. He's like the perfect person. You've never seen him or even heard of him being accused of sinning. Those religious leaders don't like him very much. Many people start to get upset by some of the things he's going through. And this inevitable showdown is clearly coming. Jesus begins talking more and more about his coming death. And he starts heading towards Jerusalem really resolutely. And trying to get there in time for the Passover. In fact, he talks a lot about how he wants to celebrate this Passover with his disciples. Even though the Passover was normally a family event, Jesus is considering these people his family. Though every Passover that you've ever had, who do you think about? Mr. Fluffy Pants. You always stay in touch with this idea of the lamb that was slain, that was so close to you. Every time you eat that lamb, every time you sit at that table, this time Jesus does something crazy at the table. He starts reading himself into the story. 
Particularly after the supper, after you eat of the lamb, Jesus raises the cup, the cup after supper, really clearly defined for us in Scripture, was the cup that was meant to represent the blood of that lamb that was shed. And so when Jesus says, this cup is the covenant in my blood, Jesus identifies himself with this Passover lamb. He connects himself somehow to Mr. Fluffy Pants. Your mind races. You don't know he's going to die tomorrow. Or maybe you kind of do, but you don't want to accept it. But, but you're racing. How can Jesus die? How can he be this lamb that was sacrificed? That evening, Jesus is arrested in the garden. And the next day, he is killed on the cross. In your grief and your tears, you miss some parts of the story that are strongly connected to Passover. Think about it. At the time you can't, but later you come back and think about that Jesus was without sin. He's without blemish. He is the perfect lamb. He didn't even sin as he was being tried unfairly and was being crucified. Like a very innocent lamb, he heads to the cross. In fact, on the cross, he blesses those who are crucifying him. He was killed at Passover. And it's amazing in the story, even though his leg should have been broken, none of his bones were broken. Just like that Passover lamb to be eaten at Passover. You're devastated. You're devastated when Jesus is lost. Much more than you ever were devastated as that child with Mr. Fluffy Pants. But then, resurrection happens. And your mind races once again. Somehow Jesus who was that Passover lamb, is also the scapegoat. Somehow he is the sin offering that gets slain, but he also gets to be the offering that lives and shows God's sign that we are forgiven and our sins are taken away from us. He is that Messiah who was the suffering servant, the lamb who took away sin. He takes care of the sin problem in a permanent way. He dies for sin once and for all and truly was the lamb of God the way John the Baptist had proclaimed him to be. You discuss this often with the other disciples. This understanding continues in the book of Acts and Revelation specifically. In Paul's theology, he talks not about Jesus being a lamb, but often about Jesus being a sacrifice. There is now no need for Mr. Fluffy Pants because Jesus is the ultimate Mr. Fluffy Pants. No one has ever said that in a sermon ever. But he is, he's the ultimate Passover lamb. There's no need to sacrifice anymore because he is the sacrifice that we were waiting for. In fact, all those other sacrifices worked because they were pointing towards Jesus. And now for us, every time we take communion, every time we talk about the lamb, every time we sing about the cross, we are reminded of what Christ has done for you. We partake of it daily. Now, and, and, and weekly, and every time we gather as a community, not like eating a lamb meal together, but it kind of is the same effect, isn't it? Always remembering, always being reminded of what Christ has done for us. And so now, having heard the whole story, I'm going to ask us to discuss again in small groups. This time, what are you thinking and what are you feeling now? How does this perspective of the child with the lamb change your view of God, of Jesus, and of communion? Go.
guess the, the, the point I want to leave you with is that Jesus does it all. That Jesus doesn't leave it up to us. He doesn't leave it up to religious systems. He doesn't leave it up to sacrifice. But amazingly, the story of the New Testament is that Jesus comes and takes care of the problem and deals with the sin issue. Now, we don't have to sacrifice anymore. All we have to do is trust. Um, and so we don't have to have Mr. Fluffy Pants anymore, and I don't have to sacrifice animals, which I greatly appreciate in my job, because I would not enjoy that piece of it. Because Jesus was a sacrifice. In fact, in Presbyterian tradition, we are very adamant that we don't call this where we serve communion from an altar. Because we say, we already, the sacrifice was already done. We don't have an altar anymore. In the Presbyterian tradition, we call that a table. Because it's a communion table. It's not an altar. We don't re-sacrifice all the time. Christ's sacrifice was enough. So, know that Christ has done it all for you and be thankful. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we think about this sermon today that you would continue to work in us. Speak to us, let it dwell with us a little bit this week that we may learn more and more of who you are and what you have done for us throughout the week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.